Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat, episode 99 for October the 31st, 2012. Happy I'm Chester Wisniewski, and there's my guest, Michael Argast. Welcome back, Michael. Thanks, Chet. Yeah, well, Halloween takes on a different meaning, I imagine, when you have children. Uh, for me, it, it doesn't have much significance other than seeing um, um, a lot of adults spend a disproportionate amount of time on outfits and makeup compared to the amount of work output that they have for the day. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, Halloween, of course, is a, a wonderful time uh, being a parent, and uh, there's all the kind of chaos in the streets that you get to deal with, but uh, you see everybody out in the neighborhood, which is always a lot of fun, too, so. Well we're, well, we're holding to our tradition here in Vancouver. It is raining on Halloween like it does every year. But at least we're not on the East Coast. <laughs> well, yeah, there's there's rain and then there's rain. <laughs> and actually, well, why don't I, I'll just mix up the story list a little bit uh, this week. We'll start with that, maybe. Um, Hurricane Sandy obviously has been what the major media has been focused on for the last few days. And it's quite uh, New York's slowly getting a bit, a little bit back to normal. I heard two airports were open today. I'm expecting that. One of them is not LaGuardia, considering yesterday there were photos of it three feet underwater. Yeah, I mean, in our business, often we think about our stories as being stories, but then a real story hits, and, uh, you know, lives are affected in serious ways. Uh, yeah, and it's important to remind people that are feeling particularly generous and wanting to help out and things to watch out for scams. Uh, we always see them related to these activities, and unfortunately... Sandy's no exception. Uh, we have been monitoring a spam campaign that's been going around uh, uh, talking about insurance related to Hurricane Sandy. And if you click the link, it takes you through a ridiculous series of uh, um, survey scams, as we call them at Sophos, which is basically these things where they ask you for a bunch of personal information, sign you up for premium rate recurring SMS charges and things like this on your phone, all with the promise that at the end you'll get a shiny new iPad 7 or... <laughs> You know, something um, um, outlandish like, you know, $500 in Tim Hortons gift certificates, which I, you know, I don't know what I would do with $500 at Tim Hortons other than roll around in it. Uh, <laughs> or if you're out east, a boat right now would be a pretty good offer. But yes, yes. Uh, um, maybe some paddles if you're in a creek that used to be a street. Um, but yeah, so watch out for that stuff, folks. I mean, fortunately, there's nothing malicious yet. We haven't seen anyone impersonating the Red Cross or any of the kind of things that we have seen related to other tragedies like the tsunami last year in Japan and things. But um, it's only a matter of time. I mean, these guys are opportunistic, um, uh, scum-sucking, bottom-dredging dirtbags, and they will take advantage of anything that comes along. And, and Sandy just happens to be the... the uh, Topic du jour. Story of the moment. So uh, other than that, Yahoo is now uh, the latest company that's decided that they don't want do not track. So to, to maybe summarize this a little bit, I'd be curious your opinions on how this, you know, how this plays out. I mean, Apache had originally, the, the web server guys uh, said they were going to ignore do not track signals from Internet Explorer 10 users on Windows 8 because Microsoft had broke the some mysterious magical rule that you're not allowed to have a default setting for whether users want to be tracked or not that this must be a reflection of user choice now after much outrage and public scrutiny apache about a week and a half later backed down but now yahoo's entered the fray i, I think the important thing to realize about do not track it is basically the advertisers trying to stay away from being regulated and they have no intention of not tracking you. They're going to do everything in their power to ignore anybody who actually makes it easy or probable that their users will enable the do not track flag. And so I don't know if our, our end result is, hey, this needs to be thrown back to regulation or if it needs to be an arms race. But I'll tell you, if, 
if Microsoft started taking the arms race and saying, you know what, we're just going to stop accepting advertising, we're going to have the ad blockers and all that kind of stuff by default, it might be enough to get me to move from Chrome to IE. Yeah, I don't know if I could move to IE because that would require changing operating systems, well, which is rather. Too, but <laughs> which I might is even run IE difficult. on my Mac, but that's a separate discussion. Yeah, I, but it's it is an interesting problem, and and uh, you know, it all the crux of it is this silliness over whether it's truly a user expression or not. And I say silliness, and now I'm going to get hate mail, but um, I think it's silly. And uh, when the vast majority of people want something a certain way, that should be the default. Based on surveys we've done on naked security, the vast majority of people say they do not want to be tracked online. Therefore, the default should be do not track. And the people that supposedly want this custom advertising that is so darn valuable to them that we're, we're stomping all over their rights by not tracking them can opt in to being tracked uh, or, you know, or opting out of the crowd, as I would call it, right? The crowd doesn't want to be tracked. They want to opt out of being that and they want to be tracked fine. Yeah, I mean, as much as I believe the tracking is evil and all that kind of stuff, I do think there is some some validity in the whole conversation of so much of the content that we get for free on the internet and the services and stuff like that are wrapped around advertising. And there is a, you know, if we if we start turning on the preference of users in terms of not being advertised to and tracked and all that kind of stuff by default, it would dramatically change the economics of the web. I, I don't I don't mind advertising. I just don't want to be tracked. And your broken business model is not my problem. Um, if you can't figure out how to make money in an ethical way that's compatible with your customers or your users' preferences, then you have a bad business model and you need to come up with a better one. Absolutely. I pay $8 a month for Netflix to see things that I can watch on my cable television that I've already paid for. And I'm happy to pay for that service because of the way it's provided to me and it's convenient. Yep. And if you want to charge me for the it's, – it's similar to you know uh, Twitter. We were talking earlier and app.net. You know, app.net's a new – competitor in the social media space to Twitter. They charge originally, I think $50. Now they charge 30 some dollars. Um, by paying you, you no longer, uh, are advertised to, and they don't sell your tweets and they don't, you know, sell biographical information or track you and all this other stuff that, that the Twitters and Facebooks do. And, you know, I went and looked at it and said, huh, $30 for my privacy. <laughs> Where do I sign up? Yep. And I think that's, I mean, many of us are willing to pay for that. Um, of course, some companies will take the money and take your privacy, which is always a bit of a challenge as well. Yeah, uh, there's never a perfect world. Uh, on the fringe of security, but sort of related since it involves what some might call hacking, um, the three-year renewal of exemptions to the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, or DMCA in the United States, was up for review uh, last week with the for some reason, the librarian of Congress is vested with the powers to decide what is an exempt thing from the DMCA and some rather bizarre outcomes. So uh, if you're a smartphone user, you can jailbreak or root your device, and that's legal. That's not a circumvention of uh, um, a DRM or anything that, that uh, uh, is banned by the DMCA. However, if you have a tablet, and I don't know what you, what happens with the Galaxy Note? <laughs> like, uh, what if it's halfway between a tablet and a phone? What if it's a, a big tablet? piece of glass that you hold up to your head? Um, does that make it a phone and it's legal? But you can't uh, jailbreak your tablet. So you can't jailbreak your iPad, but you can jailbreak your iPhone. You can jailbreak your Samsung Galaxy S3, but you can't jailbreak your Samsung Galaxy Tab. Are they going to have like an inch measurement? If it's more than four and a half inches, you shall not be jailbroken kind of thing? It seems kind of ridiculous. Yeah, it does seem odd. I guess reason for our listeners' um, purposes to bring it up is 
just because it's legal to jailbreak your device does not make it a good idea. Now, I have to say, many of my devices have been rooted or jailbroken, but my currently my iPad is not jailbroken because I use it on Sophos's network for company email and calendaring, and I like having the the privilege of having that around with me all the time in a convenient form factor for work. And as a result, I honor our policy of not having jailbroken devices on the corporate network. It's, it's kind of an extension of do not run as admin if you don't need to, right? Like it's just, there's all sorts of kind of those security right. escalation Can issues. doesn't mean should. Yes. And if you want to experiment with your PlayStation with the keys that have been published, you should have the right to do that and fantastic go load Linux and have fun with it. Um, same with your phone if you want to jailbreak it. But you should recognize that you've removed a critical security blanket that was designed by the manufacturer to protect that thing. And if you've done that, it's probably no longer prudent to do your online banking or to access corporate documents or that kind of stuff because you can no longer really be assured of the integrity yeah. of the device. So um, that's really all I'm going to say there other than there were some other brilliant things in this DMCA rules. Can't uh, rip your DVDs. Can't. Yeah, no more. Unless you're blind, you can't move your ebooks around, kind of stuff. It's just. Yeah, yeah. We're it, all criminals now. I'm not going to say that I've done any of those things, of course, but yeah. Stripping DRM off of ebooks is just uh, a, a high crime and misdemeanor or something. I'm not really sure. It's it's obviously a, a, a major issue. I, I'm I'm ho I'm looking forward to future Napster moments. Is kind of what I consider it. I mean. We had this music revolution. We had to show these rebel kids that they can't have their music for free. And we shut down Napster and we slammed the whole industry. And then less than a year later, suddenly I was able to buy DRM free music. And, you know, when is that going to happen? Do we have do we really have to, you know, slam the door on, you know, video producers and ebook producers and all these kinds of things in the same way that we had to slap Napster? Or can they figure out if they can make their users happy, they can make a lot of money? Yes. I mean, when can I'm still going to buy my books from Amazon. Could they just sell them to me in a way that I don't have to live in fear of the Amazon police? Just because one tenth of one percent of us are criminals doesn't mean that you need to treat us all that way. Yeah. Well, and fortunately for our non-US listeners, we can all do largely what we like with our content and we can legally here in Canada put a movie on our iPad without committing any crimes. So... um Unfortunately, it's an American problem, and Americans are going to the polls in just a couple of weeks, so they should be expressing their concerns about these types of things to their senators, congressmen, representatives, president, whoever, and letting them know that these things matter and that we are a digital generation now, and we need to uh, adapt and, and, and move on from some of these draconian restrictions. Not that I have an opinion. No. Um, speaking of books, Barnes & Noble... Uh, they had a rather interesting incident that 63 of their retail outlets had a single pin pad or, or credit card uh, swiping terminal that's used swapped out uh, with with ones that were, were reporting back credit card numbers to criminals. It's interesting they call them pin pads when in America they don't have chip and pin. But um, I guess it's because they must take ATM, uh, must do ATM transactions as well where they take pins. But... Yeah, and this is, I mean, Barnes & Nobles is making the story, but this has been going on for at least a few years now. Um, and, you know, one of the things that most organizations, you know, they, they've been going through PCI compliance and all these different things, and then they forget about physical security. How do I just secure the actual end device, right? And this is an obvious point of weakness because increasingly the credit card 
processor trans transaction processors are providing a whole end-to-end -end service. You can get rid of PCI. You don't have to worry about it. All you have to do is get our pin pads and our network and you're done. That's where the cloud shines, like outsourcing that kind of stuff and getting rid of the and nightmare. It's like fantastic until somebody swaps out your pin pads, in which case you're screwed all over again. Yeah, and, and there's varying degrees of that. I mean, I think the previous story I remember hearing on this a few years back was um, McDonald's in Florida and Alabama, I think, where um, literally they hand you the thing in your car to type in your PIN for and your ATM, and they were taking it off and swapping it out while you're at the drive-through. Yeah. And back in those days, a lot of these PIN pads were modular. They had telephone-style RJ14 connectors, um, which made them really easy to swap out when one malfunctioned. It also made it very easy for criminals to swap them out. Uh, so I've noticed now more and more. Um, in fact, I was at a Carl's Jr. in Los Angeles last week you on the way that? to the airport. I was hungry and I needed to get out <laughs> and I knew I wasn't going to want to eat United Airlines. Um, and anyway, I'm at the Carl's Jr. and the, the, the card swiping thing was like riveted to the drive through window and on the outside, though. And I'm like, is that really a good idea? Like, well, it is a 24-hour Carl's Jr., so maybe it would be hard to get in there. and. Well, but I mean, the point is people are starting to think about the physical security of these devices. And that's a good thing. That's probably the next generation of these devices will be designed with that kind of security in mind. So they're harder to just walk yeah, away with. Yeah, I'm seeing the security stickers on the sides of them so you can tell if it's been opened and these kinds of things. And these are all defeatable things, but these are all deterrents as well. And especially in these kind of scenarios, the fast food scenarios or the Barnes & Noble scenarios, you need a significant amount of time to defeat those security measures. So as long as you've got eyes and ears around, you're not going to be able to simply quietly do this. Fortunately, the uh, people were criticizing Barnes & Noble because they left the compromised devices in place for some time after discovery, but it was at the FBI's request. They were being active. They were in the investigation, and the FBI was trying to catch these guys red-handed. So um, to be clear, it doesn't actually take that long. I talked to a hotel chain not that long ago, and the people would come in. They'd do a distraction with the clerk at the desk. They'd have somebody else do the swap it would take seconds oh, yeah no I, I meant the defeating the security stickers or these sure. all these other things yes yeah. they're defeatable but it adds to the time, time the criminal has to have alone shorten with the, the window of vulnerability exactly so that's unfortunate if you're american and shop at barnes and noble you may want to keep a close eye on your card transactions uh for a couple months uh but the the at least uh, the you know the, the, po the more important thing i guess is if you operate a business that does have these um, terminals and things, it's a wake-up call to remember that, that you have to secure, as Michael says, the physical premise as well as the software. Yep. And a good news story. Uh, yeah, great news. Facebook won uh, some lawsuits against some spammers to the tune of a quarter million dollars and donated the money to companies who research how to stop scammers. It's fantastic. <laughs> it is. Some of the money went to the University of Alabama to a research institute there that uh, looks into online fraud and spam and how to prevent it and that type of stuff. Um, I know some. I heard some of the money went to another similar research organization in the United Kingdom. Um, it's just fantastic news that uh, not only did Facebook win, uh, it, which usually these wins are quite hollow in court. There's not a lot of action that comes out of them. In a lot of cases, it's very symbolic stuff. Uh, but, you know, f the reason Facebook sues is it costs them millions of dollars to deal with these spammers and scammers on their network. And then when they win in the money, instead of just putting the money back in the bank account to compensate themselves for their losses, which is why they won, 
they then give back to the community. I think that's pretty, I think it, one, it's smart. Outsource yeah. your research to the public universities and other institutions to, to help have them figure out how to stop your, 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 um, your, your spam. And, and it's great but, press. It worked with us, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Facebook has, as much as we talk about privacy and security issues on Facebook frequently on Naked Security and, and here on the podcast, they do have a solid security team and, and a large investment in trying to protect their community. Whether it's proportional to their alleged billion unique users per month is a different question, but they invest heavily and these types of things um, may be partly a PR move, but it, you know, those researchers that got 250 grand toward their projects are very, very pleased with this and it's not a PR move to them and we should applaud it. Yes, absolutely. Well, that wraps up software security chat chat 99. Thank you for coming back, uh, Michael, maybe for the, the hundredth episode, uh, maybe I'll put together a bit of a, uh, uh, highlights of Chet Chat's past, best uh, of, uh, best of, and and uh, figure out how many uh, Duck Chet Chats we've had, and how many Michael Chet Chats we've had. As you guys have been my primary guests, and I thank you very much for spending time um, with our listeners and with us and sharing your thoughts. And as always, you can get all of our podcasts at podcasts.sophos.com uh, via RSS or on iTunes. And for those of you that subscribe via iTunes, you know, throw us a bone. Give us a review. Uh, you know, the more people that review things, even if it's negative, um, does boost your visibility on iTunes. And we would love to hear from you on what you think of the chat chat. And for the rest of you, feel free to post a comment on Naked Security on the, uh, on the article when we post it. We, we do uh, want your feedback as to how we can make the podcast better. And for the latest news, of course, visit nakedsecurity.sophos.com. Until next time, stay secure.